So just in case you're wondering, your mobile device, potentially your computer, has tuned you into a podcast. And this particular podcast is called The Greg's Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, the winner of 1997 Pikes Peak 750 Super Sport Race by a large margin, as the internet has clearly dictated. It's presented by Bike911.com. Check out Bike911.com if you need some legal advice or you have a legal issue, you're a motorcycle rider, whatever, and all that good stuff. Bike911.com. Go talk to Alex Asante. Jason Pridmore, welcome. What is up, G-Dub? Not much. I can't wait to hear you talk about that post, my big my big post that I posted up on the Instagram. You know, G-Dub, it's been a weird... I don't know what to say, man. Did it's you been not a weird, see it? Uh, Did you not see it? I, you know what? I saw something about it, but I honestly, if I'm being dead serious, I didn't read it. I haven't been on the old uh, social much, and um, it's been a very strange month for me. So I'm. Well, let me let me bring it yeah. up to you then. Let me bring it what, up, okay? A 750 Super Sport race from where? No. So what happened was, is I was in the middle of doing research, the VIR stuff, and I got mm-hmm. caught from one link to another. Next thing you know, I'm down this rabbit hole. And okay. I stumble across 750 Super Sport results from the very first race that I was ever in. As you remember, Pikes Peak International Raceway, hmm. August oh, yeah, 16th, I 17th, 1997. <laughs> Your winner was Jason Wait, Pridmore. But that, who did you, that wasn't the race who, that you commentated, though. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was your first, oh, wait, well, you, wait, I'm confused, because I knew you then. You, we had met, we met at the beginning of that year, 1997 when I was in Phoenix, the race okay. I didn't qualify for. Because remember, we had no pit lane speed limits back then. We had none of that. And that dude wheelied, wheelied out pit lane, <laughs> lost control, and then hit, like, literally Smashed clean. You. Do you remember that? Clean clean my bike out from underneath me. I do. Yeah. And I, it was a brand new GSX-R600. Like, they had just launched that model. <laughs> there were no spares. Good old Team Skulk. Go, yeah, Team Skulk. I had to go to your team and get a foot peg and a handlebar because I was still running stock foot pegs. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and there were 40... There are only 40 spots on the grid at Phoenix because it was a smaller track where everywhere mm. else we went, they would take 44. Something that you probably don't know, but when you're in the back of the pack and you're going like, whoa, and I qualified 41st for 600 and 41st for 750. So I didn't qualify and I had to go home. It was a $5,000 track day. It was brutal. It's a lot of money to get across country. <laughs> oh, you are a beauty. So anyway, fast forward to Pikes Peak. And it was, was my first the, day. It was, was my first the, race was, that I was this, made. Was, was this the end of the year? You finally made a race, or, or yeah, was no, there? I didn't. I didn't have any money to do any of the ones in the middle. <laughs> so I you spent it, your five grand up stuff. front. And you didn't do anything else, and then you showed up at Pike's Peak. Pike's Peak. Got it. Uh, microphone in my helmet, camera on the motorcycle, and I commentated live during the race for my first ever AMA national. Mm-hmm. On a six hundred, you won it. Um. Over who? Do you remember? Mm-mm. Doug Poland. Oh. Richie yeah. Alexander on the box. Richie. Wow. Okay. Mark Miller, who was your teammate at the time. Oh, was fourth. this 97? 97, 97. Yeah. yeah. Brian Gibbs, Dale wow. Kiefer in sixth. Dale Steve Kiefer. Rapp. Dude, it gets better. Chris Rankin. You remember Chris? Oh, yeah. John Jacoby, who had just kind of done a bunch of the weird stuff with me. Ben Bostrom was 11th. He would have been riding a zero gravity gravity. 600, huh? Dax Snow, Anthony Lupo, Nicky Hayden was 14th. I believe that was his very first race. He was on that Muzzies 
second yes. chance. He was on Kawasaki, that bike, I think, huh? two races, remember? Because the year like, after he I remember Nikki wearing like red, white, and black Nankai leathers, I believe is what it was back then. Yeah. That would have uh, been one Shane, of his first races, huh? I believe it was his first race. Cause yeah. He, yeah, I think so. Because then he did. Did we do Vegas? I think we did Vegas. Yes, we did. The last one of the year. Yep. And that, and then the next year he signed. I think we went to Sonoma after. I think we went to Sonoma after Pikes, because I remember okay. I won the championship there, and then we went to Vegas for the final. So Nick was, let's see, Nicky was. Uh, I got to call it up again. He was 14th. Then Shane Clark, Rad Greaves, Jimmy Moore was 17th. Keep in wow. mind, folks. Jimmy Moore became you know 750 champ. Scott Rule was in the race 18th. Michael Barnes was 19th. Guy named Brian Chesser, Brian Leffeld, Dennis Clark. Now we're getting to, you know, my guys, the backmarker guys, right? Ryan something. Uh, remember so Terry you did a Teske? post on you did a post on this. You know, I just what I did was I grab I grabbed this thing. So I was 29th. So this was from a website. They only posted points finishers. Because if you remember, okay. we I mean we had 44 people almost every race we went to, right? Yeah. It was busy. Uh, 42 or something. So I finished 29th. And of course, as as the story goes. You uh you completed twenty seven laps. I completed twenty five because you lapped me. <laughs> well, it was for a, a very time I, on the last lap. Not that I'm defending you, but it was a very short track. It was like forty eight second lap time, wasn't it, or something? No. The, so it was it was you actually did you were on pole at a fifty eight four. So 58. I believe superbikes would do like fifty twos, something like that. No, it wouldn't have been six seconds. Six was, seconds on a little short track like that would be absurd. But yeah. Yeah, you're, Dude, you're, there was a red there was a red flag in that race and I do not remember the red flag. I don't at remember all. either. Uh you know what I remember about that day? Well shit, like nobody cares. But it I it had it hadn't it sprinkled or something? No, it was raining. It had rained when we it started rained, the race. Right? This was the this was the legendary the was race. It was still a little bit wet, right? Your yeah, your mom was there and the track was completely wet, but it had stopped raining. And we were not allowed to race on rain tires back then. We had to race the DOT tires. It was a rule. And mm. I'm sitting there, I got a camera, a microphone, my first national, the track's wet at a speedway, blah, blah, blah. And I'm hemming and hawing, and your mom grabbed me and she said, You're here to race a motorcycle. You go out and race a motorcycle. That's great. And she like she like dope slapped me into going out in that race. And of course, you know, I still have that. I have that race with with me commentating and um, I'm still the only one in the world, as far as I know, to do live commentary. Riveting TV. Them. Now they're putting cameras on shoulders that are pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah that we've come a long way. But then yeah. there was a 600 Super Sport race the next day that Miguel won, Pascal Picot, Pegram, Hacking, Oliver, Tom Kip, Yates, Jason Pridmore, P8, mm. Matt Waite, Miller, uh, Mike Smith, Nikki Hayden finished 12th, wow. Eric Bostrom, Richie Alexander in 14th, Steve Crevier, Graves, uh, Crevier, fifteenth. He would have been on like a factory bike. I mean, when you go back and you look at the six hundred stuff, that was smoking Joe's Honda back then. Yep. God. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean boy, that guy. Your boy he won a bunch of six hundred races and the six hundred championship. I mean, Crevier was kind of in prime time then too. So he was riding superbike and. So he must. Dude, have, Doug, to, Doug Tolan was twenty first. Wow. Think about how uh, deep that field is. Doug Tolan, 21st. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I finished, I got a point. I finished 30th. Only only got lapped <laughs> once. And there's the silver lining. So the post read this, Jason. I know people are just like, we've all seen the post. I'm doing yeah, my research cares. for the weekend. Moto America race VAR. I fell down a rabbit hole and stumbled across some results from Pikes Peak. Um, 1997. First 750 Super Sport 
and 600 on Saturday. The 600 race was on Sunday. They only mm. listed points. Keep in mind, just months before I raced, I was a yellow-plated novice running We Are Nationals. And there are plenty more excuses. Notes. <laughs> Jason Pridmore scored 59 points that weekend. I scored three. JP did 59 laps. I only did 56. Oh, because you combined the two races. Got it. We're yeah, eight minutes got- into this. Nobody cares. What are we doing? <laughs> We are doing a podcast, and in this one, we're going to talk about MotoGP Le Mans. We're going to talk Moto America VIR preview because you're getting on an airplane and coming here tomorrow, plus World Superbikes and Estoril, Jason. But we're going to kick things off as we normally do with the news presented by Arai. That's right. Did you know that Arai motorcycle helmets have vents? They do. I don't know. They allow airflow in and around your head. Ride your chin area. Just a multitude of features you can get on an Arai helmet. Go to AraiAmericas.com. Pick yourself up a lid from your local dealer after you get a professional fit. AraiAmericas.com. They got what you need to protect your lid. Your note. They got the lid you need to protect your noodle. How's that? I'm trying to come up with something creative. All right. Anyway, I have no idea why the music was so loud during my read, but I will fix that in editing. Jason Pridmore, we're going to start with MotoGP, and Aya Bastianini will be racing for Ducati for the next two seasons on factory equipment. Not 100% confirmed, but that's what we're reading on GP1, not to mention the fact that, I don't know if you saw the post-race press conference, but the question is, for what team? GP1's reporting that the decision will be made between Mugello and Barcelona. So the question is, factory, did you see... The post-race press conference where they they have all three guys after the race in their leathers, but they're in the building, and they opened up questions to normal press, the normal media. I didn't see that. I saw the little thing behind uh, the podium where they are all talking to each other a little bit. Um, Mm. I saw where he kind of—he wasn't—well, you would know better than I did because I'm sure you saw it, but he wasn't shit-talking Bagnaya, right? He just basically said that he was putting some pressure on him and— and oh, no, that was the race. That was the race itself. So po- post-race, the last question to come in was a journalist asked um, Anea Bastianini about his future. Actually, he asked Jack Miller and he asked Anea Bastianini. And Bastianini oh. basically kind of said, like, like, hey, look, yeah, I'm riding for Ducati. They put a good package together. What team I'm going to be riding on, I don't know. And then he stopped answering, and the whole room looked and turned to Jack Miller, and Jack just said... He just he just looked at everybody and he just goes like, "What do you want me to say? The guy's won three races. He's doing a good job." I mean, he's, I Italian. he's Italian. He's Italian. And he's Italian. And he's Italian. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah, I did what, see what, that. What, what more do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was kind of one of those things where you go, "Well, they're telling everybody the decision hasn't been made yet, but something tells me that." Yeah, Jack but let Miller me ask you a question, G Dub. Let me ask you a question team. about this. If I'm in the Bastianini and I've won three rounds in the first seven. And I have the potential to go win the championship. Why would I want to break that nucleus up with my team? Like, obviously, the team he's on now, I, I never understood this. Um, if I'm winning races, I'm happy as could be. I, it, at that stage, I don't care what team I'm on. But I, do these guys really need more publicity? Do they need more notoriety? Do they need more work put in front of them? I mean, being on a factory team in the sense of off-track stuff. Like, if I'm Bastianini and I'm getting paid and I'm on factory equipment and I got a team of guys around me that are putting a bike underneath me that I can communicate with and I'm winning races, I give two shits about going to the factory team. Honestly, like, I want to win. That would be, 
that's my whole thing. And I would think, and, and it's like, I don't necessarily look at being on a factory team or, I mean, look, dude, these guys now are on factory equipment, a lot of these satellite teams. And, and Bastini's one, th- I mean, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to trade places with Miller or Bagnaya right now if I was Bastianini. This is the way I look at it. 20 years ago, if you were on a factory team, you got the best part. And I say part. If you're the A rider, you got the best part. B rider would get it. Then, you know, we've heard the story before from guys that raced on satellite teams for a long time. Bradley Smith is one of them. You know, Bradley came on this podcast even a couple of years ago, and he said, look, you got to perform your best on a satellite team in the first four races or five races because then the factory teams start getting parts that you're never going to see the rest of the year. In a short period of time, that has completely changed. I mean, Bastianini's not even on the brand new bike. He's not even on the GP22. But when I was watching that race, Jason, I was just, I just, just when he was around Jack Miller or Bagnaya, I mean, I was looking at those motorcycles and I cannot see a distinction. The bodywork is identical. So the arrow is identical. The way that the exhaust system's coming off that bike looks the same. The swing arm looks the same, but it is a different. It's a different motorcycle somewhere. It it doesn't seem like things are moving so fast anymore that if you go year to year, you're not losing a bunch. It's almost better to be on the second year bike, the development bike. You know, well, I mean, a bike that's been developed for two seasons in a way. Hey, Greg, listen. You said twenty years. I would argue that just even five years ago, I think. Um, I think this is kind of a new thing. I think that that nowadays there's getting to be, uh, that's why we have all the time so close. I mean, you could look at the top 13 or 14 guys. Everybody's tight now. Everybody's close. Um, where before we would see a bigger discrepancy within the top 10, top 15 riders. It's not like that anymore. And when you look at these races and you see the amount of red shirts that are down in Bastianini's corner, they're not like... Look, if that guy's going on to try to win the championship, you're going to see more and more red shirts in that pit. Now, I feel like the nucleus of their team at the moment, if you look at Miller and Bagnaya, if Miller can keep the form that he's got now and be a guy that has the potential, like he should be, to finish top five every weekend, maybe sneak a win or two in there, and you got Bagnaya who's capable of winning races and stuff as well, I wouldn't break that up. And then you got Bastianini. You almost got the best of both worlds all the way around there. Um, so yeah, Bastianini, I know this is just the news and we'll get more into MotoGP stuff, but but yeah, Bastianini will be on a Ducati. That's, but I but I think my biggest question is why move? Like if, if you can be on that team that's, that's producing wins, obviously at it, it, that level, at any level, it doesn't matter where it is, you have to be happy where you're at. You have to be happy with your team, your personnel, your chef, your masseuse, your everything that you got. And if you have that at a place and that team's willing to put whatever they're putting into it and you're winning, well, I, I, I wouldn't move. I mean, I don't know what the extra bump in pay would be from a satellite to a factory if there is, but I would think that Bastianini holds the cards on that. I, I would say you're right. I, and I think the other component of that too is that with the level of managers now that, that these riders have in negotiating with the factory teams, they're negotiating parts and pieces right into these contracts. You yeah. Know? So... That's the thing. I mean, obviously, the contract or the or the offer to Bastianini is done on factory equipment, no problem. It's just a decision on what team we're going to put you on. And right, it, it, if that's the case, if that's where we are now, then you're right, Jay. It's it's almost irrelevant. And I agree with you. You know, you and I came up 
in an era that basically was like factory team is the only team to be on. I don't care mm-hmm. what the team is. If it says factory in front of it, let's, let's go there. Now with the contracts are written with the ability to create more parts and stuff, especially from Ducati and it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I don't think Suzuki's at that level. I don't think that it was Suzuki going out of the paddock that someone could grab those bikes and be competitive next season. I think that they still have development to do, but obviously, you know, we saw a, a, a GP19 last year, a Ducati GP19 that was competitive and, and putting it on the box. So, you know, we're not, but COVID was weird, right? Like there was a freeze on the engine development. There was a freeze here, yeah. freeze there. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It'll, it'll flush itself out, I guess, as we move a little bit forward, but we'll talk more Agreed. about MotoGP yep. stuff. Um, another news item on the Moto America side of things is there's something cleverly named as Rainy Rides to the Races. I'm not saying where that name came from. I'm just saying, you know. This sounds awfully suspicious. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so for the Laguna Seca round, Rainey's Ride to the Races is happening. And yeah. it's with Kenny Roberts is going to be there. Eddie Lawson will be there. Uh, Bubba Schobert, I think, is set to, to show up. And Wayne as well. And it's basically the second annual ride um, on the Monterey Peninsula. Now, it does cost. There's 35 spots that are limited. You can purchase it for $325. All the benefits go to the Road Race and World Action Fund. It begins at the Moto Talbert Museum on uh, Carmel Valley Road. You remember, we were there, Jay. We oh, went to yeah. that um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then you you basically get to ride with, with Wayne, and there's a Q&A with those guys, with Rainey and Roberts and Lawson and Schobert and all that kind of stuff. And it's a big deal. So go to... Um, Moto America website, there's an article there, and you can click on the link to do it. But if you're interested, if you're one of the lucky 35 people that go gets to ride with those legends, then go check it out. It's uh, Last year's was, was, I didn't get to go, but I heard all the stories from last year's ride, and it was pretty funny. And if you don't know Kenny Roberts and you want to get to know that guy a little bit better. <laughs> you, yeah. You, yeah. He's, he's yeah. a beaut. He, he is something else. Uh, and I love him. The Royal Enfield oh, Bill Train yeah. Race. Road Race Edition begins this weekend at VIRJ. There's 15 women who basically got Royal Enfields, and they're building them, and they're going to go race them. Only this year, it's a little different. We talked about it on the podcast before. Um, these women now actually have experience. Some have raced regional races. Some have track day experience. There's a few, I think four of the 15 women, maybe more, were in, in the, the deal last year. So if you're coming out to Virginia International Raceway, you definitely want to go check out the Royal Enfield uh, BTR because I'm actually looking forward to seeing what what uh what bikes were created you know like what what the creativeness of the builds are and that's going to be pretty good um i'm pumped to see them on track as well so jason let's transition yeah let's transition over to uh the northwest 200 because yes that actual an actual road race happened over the weekend i only saw a couple results but from what i understand you actually got to watch all of it so what what did you see i watched it all you know what's great is the bbc online um my my good friend Andy, uh, he watches all the stuff from England and all the stuff. And and anyways, he had said to me that it might be there. What what uh, Andy? You mean Andy Andy? Andy Andy, yes, Andy Andy. Oh, he's the best dude. Heard he's from that guy a, in a while. He's the best. He's a good dude. Yeah. So anyways, he told me about it. Uh, and then and then Steve Steve English told me about it. He went up there, and I just I thought it would be like okay, I'm gonna have to. I don't care. I'm gonna pay something because this year the Isle of Man. They they're you know they have a pay site that you can go to now for like thirteen dollars oh. you get to watch all the Isle of Man for the Fortnite or whatever it is whatever you know so yeah 
I'm all excited about that because I don't know, man. I just enjoy watching the racing. But the Northwest, I know, is a little bit different type of road race than than most. It's not like the Isle of Man where you're racing against a clock. It's actually it's closed circuit racing on the roads is essentially. And there's there's a full series of it over there with the Cookstown race. They're not doing the Ulster this year. But it, it but I thought I'd have a look at it. Um and it's out of all of the actual road road racing that I've ever watched or seen, it would probably be the one that I would want to do more than any. But but you know they're going 208 mile an hour on these little country lanes. And they're racing side by side. Eight. Oh yeah. Yeesh. And the thing that I noticed the most even in interviews, which was really crazy, I you know, road racing itself, we all we all look at it a little different. I think everybody has their opinions on it. Um, it is definitely a different world. I've been to the Isle of Man, you know, a couple times with my father, so I know a little bit about some of this stuff and and got to know a lot of the world endurance guys like McGinnis and and the late Simon Andrews, who was just a great guy. Cam Donald. There's a there was a Peter Hickman. There was a bunch of them that I got to know through World Endurance because they were racing that as well. And the Northwest, um, this was the first time I really got to watch pre-interviews, post-race interviews. It's amazing the amount of respect that these guys have for each other on the racetrack, like on the track itself. Passing. Um, it, it was it was just a it, it gave me a whole nother perspective. I really enjoyed watching it. Glenn Irwin came and rode like a lot of the BS not a lot, but a couple of the BSB guys dipped their toes in it because that's there's a big payday for a lot of these guys to do the roads. Uh, the last two or three years that they haven't been able to do it, I know has really killed a few of the boys' pockets because it takes you know, they get paid to do the roads and so Glenn Irwin came over, Josh Brooks came over, Hickey, who we know is kind of a road specialist as well now. Um Hickey's got the fastest, he broke the lap record by four seconds um, this year. Um, How long is the course? It's eight, eight point something miles, I believe is what it is. It takes him oh, like four okay. minutes gotcha. and 20 yeah, seconds yeah. to get around. And But it would, be a tr- it would be one that I would really like to go just check out. It looks beautiful where they run this thing. And, um, and we had a couple people that we know, like Patricia Fernandez goes over there. Chris Saboro went over there. He's in there, and I, you know, he's going to the Isle of Man here in a couple weeks. So, wait, there's a few guys that I know, and I know, like I said, I know a few of the people riding. But man, it was exciting to watch. It was really, really cool. Steve Parrish and Keith Hewen, both guys from the past racers, did all the announcing. So, um, I sat and literally watched five days of it on uh, five hours of it on Saturday, and yeah, it was it That's was really awesome. good to watch. And and the crazy part, G Dub. They do it. They they have like a practice practices on Tuesday, and then Wednesday take off. Thursday's like uh, qualifying and practices and stuff. And they did some racing on Thursday as well, but it was it was raining. They're out there racing on the roads Ugh. and pouring rain. I'm like, yeah. And there was a few of the boys that just sat out of that, you know. So, yeah. but but it's definitely something I would like to go to. And Johnny Ray drove up there with his son, and they interviewed him there. And it was it was really interesting watch. I enjoyed it. And you can still get on there if you go. I don't have it pulled up right now, but if you go to, if you look it up a little bit, Northwest 200, and it'll say viewing and stuff, it'll take you to a link to the BBC, and you can go on there and you can watch all the racing. You can literally just live as it happened. They did like a live as it happened. So even in the morning that I woke up, there was like no spoilers because I could hit live as it happened, and it would take me back to the beginning, and I could watch all of it. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. It's good. That's really cool. So just something out there if people are... This weekend we're gonna have quite a bit of racing because we got World Superbike and then our stuff. But if people want to get a little bit of extra fix on their racing, go have a look at it. Cool. 
Well, there you go. There's your news presented by Arai. Now it's Jason Pridmore's turn. Yeah. Maybe. Um, Unless you want me to do it. No, I got it. I, I was I was out of the thing there for a minute. So, Greg Lamar, that happened this weekend. We've already touched a little bit on it. Let's just let's just rip through the results real quick. Um, you know, this year with the way the season has been, it's just been uh, it's topsy turvy. But this was probably a podium that I think. When I was watching, I'm like, okay, I could see these three guys on the podium. Bastianini ends up winning. Miller second. Aleish again third. Just incredible season he continues to have. Uh, and I definitely want to talk about him a little bit as we go. Um, Fabio Quattrao ends up fourth. Zarco at his home Grand Prix fifth. So we had two Frenchmen fourth and fifth. Um, Marquez. Nakagami, I thought, really nice result for him. I mean, Nakagami, Greg, he, ended up, he ends up seventh, but he was only a second and a half behind Marquez at the end, I thought was pretty good. Binder, who continues to be the only shining light in what is the KTM factory team, albeit 18.4 seconds back. How about Luca Marini, G-Dub? Ends up ninth. Really, really good good ride by him. Um, and what's funny about that is Marini and Bedzeki are on the same exact team, same bikes and all that, but it's either one or the other every weekend that kind of steps up, you know. But Marini ends up ninth and actually wasn't very happy with his result. Felt he could have done better. Vinales ends up 10th with Paul Espargo just disappointing there in 11th. Marco Bedzecchi. Antonio, best ride of the year for him. He ends up 13th. Alex Marquez, 14th. And, man, Frankie Morbidelli. I don't, I mean, just a bummer. Frankie Morbidelli ends up 15th. Very, very high-profile non-finishers in this race that we'll go through in a minute, Greg. What was your overall outtake, though, of the race as we saw it finish? Up front, looking at Bastianini pressuring Pecco Bagnaia, who who led it you know, for, for quite a bit. A couple things struck me. Bastianini apparently didn't get the memo that everybody's suffering from you know heat in the front tire and you should hang back a second and let the... Bastianini was charging. Had a good good run at it. I think the pressure that he put on Pecco caused Pecco to, to toss it down the road. After Bastianini passed him, Pecco was like, can't let him get away. And big mistake, and down he goes. Um, I think that was probably one of the most outstanding bits for me. And then the ride that Alicia Spargaro put in. Honestly, I, I, I just... I mean, like, the thing is, at this point, I think the Jack Miller thing is great, but we, I think Jack should be where he is. You know what I mean? In second place. I think sometimes we get surprised by Jack's podiums because he's been inconsistent. But I just think that when he's dialed in and the way that the things have been kind of fixed on the factory Lenovo team for Ducati, he should be there. So the Aleish thing is really impressing me. The other thing that taken away from that race, Jay, is you can see in Quadraro's riding style how frustrated he is. And that's kind of what I kept thinking when they were showing him. And then post-race, he basically just said, look, Yamaha's got to take some risks. Now, look, there's a language barrier, you know, between Quartararo. He speaks French. He obviously grew up mostly in Spain, and he speaks great English. However, with that said, he basically said, Jason, that Yamaha is unwilling to take risks on new parts that it takes. They find a part in testing, and it takes them another two to three to four months to test that bit to make sure it's going to work, then they bring it out. And he's like, we need, he literally said, we Yamaha needs to take risks now and stop with this nonsense. And so that's the thing I can, I can see it in his riding style. Cause that dude is riding his brains out. I mean, yeah, there's no other Yamaha even close. Not even I mean, close. Dude, yeah. 
He's P4. The next Yamaha is 15th. If they finish yeah. 15, 16, and 17. Yeah. 29 seconds of drift, 38 seconds of drift, and 59 seconds of drift. Yeah. It's like, dude, I, I understand the philosophy behind these Japanese companies, but guess what? They're now racing against Italians and Austrians. They don't care. They're going to take risks, and they're going to go for it. You know, it's not a PR exercise. Oh, if we have a, a part fail, you know, it's 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 shame on us, and we won't sell motorcycles or whatever. It's like, dude, you gotta you gotta start thinking in a different way to com- to compete because well, this whole series now is being dominated by different manufacturers. You know, you I mean, Ducati and Aprilia, dude. You know, with with KTM sniffing it. I do have to say, Brad Bender, though, right, Jay? He's, He's the only there. guy to shine light, but he but he but he only had half a wing, or he had one wing on one side. And and if you I don't know if you read the article, but what a disaster to try to ride the thing. I love Brad Bender. Me too. There's so many of these guys that I just like, you know. And you know, going back real quick to what you said about Miller, you know, for me, Miller, I really am happy with his latest trend. Um, he had a good ride at Jerez. Arguably, could have been on the podium there. Um, you know, Alesh snuck through when uh, when Marquez lost the front. Alesh was going underneath Miller. And Marquez makes that little bobble and saves it like he always does. Um, but you know, this is where that consistency comes in, like you talk about, Greg. I think that if if Miller could keep putting these podium positions together and finishes together, it'll make it a lot harder for them to get rid of him. I I hope that Jack, wherever he ends up next year, if he if he does lose this, I I would love to just see him back on a satellite Ducati, a bike that I feel like he can still win on. I mean. Like, Greg, again, if you're Jack Miller and they go, hey, we're going to put Bastianini on this, but we want to put you on Bastianini's bike from this year, I, why would that not be the best option? I'd, I'd rather do that unless he's doing a money grab and go to KTM or something like that. But, um, you know, for me, I am I was pretty impressed with that. He wasn't letting Bagnaya get away either. Uh, Jack wasn't at the beginning. He's been able to pace himself or being around those guys. Now, you talked about passing. Anaya was... It like just didn't seem to matter to him. He had pace to where it was like, I'm just going to roll up onto the back. I, he passes Miller. He rolls up onto the back of Bagnaya, follows him for a bit, goes by him. And, you know, it's easy to say that Bagnaya succumbed to pressure. He said it's a stupid mistake. It's a silly mistake that he can't make. Um, and he tips off. happens. I think that when you, you look at it, it's at this stage, with it being such a long championship, this was a chance again where Bagnaya could have closed some points in on 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 Quattararo, right? That's how I look at this right now. With it being a long championship, you got to be careful. You just can't make those little silly tiny mistakes because you've got to try to rack up points. Now we're going to a track next week or the week after whatever in Magello where I think the Ducatis we we could see real dominance from the Ducatis there. So um you know, you might look back on a couple of these races that Bagnaya has put in at the beginning of the year, and you know, is is it him being? If, if Jack keeps putting good, you know, solid results together, or maybe wins a race or two, is Bagnaya there? Is he there already for next year? I he signed a two-year deal. G Dub, I I don't really know. I can't remember. I can't remember if yeah. Yeah, no, they extended Pecco. Remember, right at the beginning they of the did. season, they, they extended, extended him. him. Yes, so for two, and I two think that they're. Years. I think that they. I think Jack is a guy that they really like. He's a character, but he, he's a really good dude. From everything I've ever heard, and you know, he's made some mistakes. He screwed things up, but man, if he can stay on this current form, um, yeah, we'll see. So looking back through it, you know, Greg, um, 
I think that you got to talk a little bit. It's it you know Zarco kind of had a lonely race once he got past Marquez, but the Hondas, the Hondas end up sixth and seventh, um, fifteen and sixteen seconds off. This is the second race where Nakagami's managed to put himself in that top seven or top eight positions. So it was a good ride from Nakagami. I think as you know as as rides go, he's ahead of some guys that that maybe we wouldn't have thought he would be. Um, when you consider that Alex Marquez is back there rolling around in 14th, who I think I think he ran off the track at some point in that race too, did Marquez. But the Hondas are just struggling right now. But Mark Marquez, I think it's a pretty impressive ride because he's not throwing the thing down the road, trying to get more out of that bike than he can. And it's almost telling to me when you see a guy like Nakagami finish right behind him, you can really tell what the limitations of that Honda are, right? Because Marquez is just riding it to a certain limit. And it's the limit that Nakagami can ride the bike towards. And neither one of them want to go over that limit right now. Still a long season to go. And these little point grabs that Marquez is grabbing here, he got fourth at Jerez, he gets sixth here. Um, that, you know, There might be some tracks where that bike will work for him, but... Man, they got to keep making some tweaks and get that thing better. He came out today and said that he, you know, he, he's still enjoying riding. He wants to stay with Honda. Maybe three or four years from now, he says that could change. Who knows? I mean, three or four years from now, it's crazy to think of that. But, but um, you know, he's just he's they got to just keep chipping away and get closer. I have a feeling that what we are seeing with Honda mm-hmm. is a residual effect of Mark Marquez being hurt mm-hmm. uh, sporadically over the last couple of years. Agreed, and that. And I, and I talked about this in podcast last year, I think, about the development getting away from what Mark Marquez wants and then yeah. trying to make this Honda more rideable across the board. And I, I think it, it just kind of feels like Honda's lost its way a little bit because, you know, Mark knew what he wanted from a motorcycle. And yeah, it's true. He was the only one who really could ride the thing. But now in their search for more rear grip, the front end is garbage, dude. I mean, yeah. everybody on that bike is tucking the front. Now, yeah. it, it did, you know... Bastianini crashed three times on that. I think it was three times last weekend. There were a lot of crashes at Le Mans. Yeah. You know that track better than any track you've probably raced on other than maybe, what, Mid-Ohio and Sonoma or something? But Well, I mean, Mans, like, when you, yeah. I know it pretty well from like, seven, seven 24 hours at Le Mans. I'm pretty intimate with that place, and the lap times they're doing. <laughs> seven 24 hours at Le Mans. That's yeah. a lot of laps. That's yeah. a and, lot of and, laps. And the thing is, Greg, is they You're repaved insane. it. And it was so, it's so much faster than it used to be. Um, and these guys are pushing. I mean, they are really, really pushing. And, uh, you know, the lap times are, are, I think the quickest I had ever gone around there might have been a high 38. And I think this year at the 24 hour, they were qualifying in like the 34s or fives. But, but the pavement's all brand new. Everything's, it's, yeah, that it's helps. great. Because I, you know, I talked to a few of the guys racing over there this last weekend and it was like, is like Jay. It's so smooth. It's like a billiard table. It's perfect. And I'm like, wow, that would be, that would be great. But that, but now, that gives you yeah. a lot more confidence to do things with the front end of the bike. And I think that you know, with GP and this overheating issue, and the fact that the the, the new arrow which forces the front end down, trying to control wheelies and do all the stuff it's supposed to do, is creating more heat in the tire. And I think that you know, you you, you have and you on have, new pavement, and on that's what I'm saying. You add yeah. new pavement to that. The fact that it feels great because it's smooth. And you know, it, it, it might be a situation, Jay, where a lack of bumps might not give people the feel that they normally want. You know, mm-hmm. like some people need a little bit of bump to feel what the front end's doing. Other other riders do not. 
yeah. you know, Miller Miller's big comment was like on the front tire choice, because a lot of people went with, I think the medium tire and he went with that soft is he was like, I got no, every time I put the medium on, I crashed. So yeah. he had no feeling with the medium. As soon as he puts a soft on, he goes, I got input. I think he called it input. We would call it feedback. He would get feedback from the bike and he knew exactly how to push the thing around. I mean, right. you know, thinking back to you racing and being around you for all the years I was, that your big thing was you wanted to feel, you know, it was like going to the corner. And we talked about this before. You'd get on the brakes and right at the point where it would tuck is where you would finish the corner. And that you wanted that feel. Right, like I like that. I like the feel of. I like the feel of the. I almost liked being able to push a bike to the point where you could feel the front tucking a little bit because there was a fine line there. But what it did is it allowed me to make better adjustments of what I wanted setup wise, and that's that's when I asked. I remember one day I just asked Matt Maladin. I said, "Hey, how often do you lose the front?" And he goes, "Once a lap." I'm like, "Okay, you know," and. Because you're looking for that feel. Now, Lamont has a lot of little crowns to it too, Greg. It's got you never did I thought you did the boxer cup there. You didn't though, right? You never did Lamont. No. But but it it um it's got a lot of little nuances about it that can catch you out relatively quickly. So um yeah, I wasn't surprised to see a lot of the crashes. And I and I'm really not surprised to see a lot of the crashes on new pavement. Because it it when you know that you can push harder, now you're finding new limits, right? So the fact, and it was warm, uh, it was unseasonably warm. They didn't have the rain that they thought that they always do get at Lamont, except for in that Moto3 race, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the thing is, is that um, track temperature was higher than it normally would be probably um, there and, and and new pavement, all the other things that, that attribute to to what you saw. So I got a couple things, I think, G-Dub, that I was, I'm, I'm very interested to get your opinion on. I've written a couple things down here. Um and I, and I really, I really suspect that by Magello that we'll see something out of this. But it's it's pretty wild to see some of the stuff that Alash is coming out and saying about this new contract that he hasn't received yet from Aprilia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think that when we look at some some things sidebar from the race, Alash has more than proven his wealth this year. But isn't it kind of weird to you? And there's a few of our friends that we have that we that we talk to with fantasy. It's really strange how people still don't want to pick him. Still don't want to like, like he's there. He's what is he? Is he four points back now? He's like only four points back out of the championship, I think. And it's like it's is I think that his his past kind of precedes him a little bit like people are kind of like yeah but it's a lace he'll do this or he'll do that but i mean 17 just, years in the paddock or something like that right without a podium i totally get it or yeah, without a win i mean yeah, without a win yeah Sorry. yeah yeah and it's, it. you kind of you're kind of at that stage now where it's like i think that the reason he's talking the stuff that he's talking especially when he's saying that like did you see his quote about like if if they don't re-sign me it's the biggest bullshit in like the history of yeah, but you have to watch the press conference. It was said kind of in a tongue-in-cheek manner. In a joke. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it's like, it's probably a little unnerving knowing that Rins and Mir are out there now, too, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So, so how, how, look, however, however. Uh, go ahead. He deserves, he does, yeah. he 1,000% deserves a two-year extension, I think, on this program. I mean, he's been there since... You know, he was there when nobody else wanted to go. And granted, he was getting paid for it, which is fair enough. 
and he's been through the trials and tribulations of everything Aprilia, where you and I have talked on this podcast about just how embarrassing they were even two years ago <laughs> when KTM's out there winning races and Aprilia's been around forever and they can't even, you know, they they were just on struggle bus. Anybody that went there as a second rider was like, a, you know, you were done after, you know, if you weren't done midway through the year, then you were done at the end of it for sure. But man, that program has really shaped itself up. And now they're talking about possibly running a satellite team, which would be amazing. But, but um, you know, your views on a lace, deserving or not deserving, right this very second of... Yeah, 100% re-sign. deserving. I think yeah. it's not too early in the season. I think if a lace ends up tossing it down the road once or twice, it's okay. Like, I don't, you know, I think that would have done I don't done think so he's far. gonna. I really don't he think he's going to. I don't think he's going to. If you listen to the way he talked about his race and how he was losing the front here, losing the front there, no, no, no grip. Uh-huh. He's talking, he's talking... Uh, very far ahead of the motorcycle in terms of uh, you know how he's how he's viewing the the race itself. He's he's laps down, you know, down the track. He's not like corner to corner, and I think that that shows a, a certain level of maturity, and it shows a certain level of ability to finish consistently on the podium. He's not rushing things. He's taking his time. He's letting the race come to him. All those things. Yeah. So what I read on GP one, uh, apparently this came directly from his manager. That he's getting 1.5 million euro now. He's asked for a 30% bump, which is going to take him to two. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is not the contract itself, Jay. And this is a familiar tale. And I know that you're going to know this because it happened last year in the United States. The problem is, is that Aleish is now so consistently on the podium and winning that he is actually getting such good bonuses. Big bonuses. Because, you know, yeah. obviously when they did this contract, Aprilia wasn't anywhere. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give you, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what the bonus is. Let's yeah. just say, yeah, we'll give right, you 100,000 right 100, euro. Yeah, we'll yeah. pick a number. 200,000 yeah. euro for a win or 100,000 euro for a win, whatever it is. All of a sudden, they're finding themselves dipping into the well happily from what I read, but saying like, holy crap. So, okay, do you want more money up front or do you want us to restructure this contract in a way, you know what I mean, that... Okay, do you want more bonus money? Like, they've got to kind of figure that out. All the while, I guarantee you, Jay, because of Suzuki's exit, Aprilia is thinking in the back of their books going, okay, wait a second. You know, although there's no salary cap per se in MotoGP like there is, say, in football, American football, there is still a cap on a budget, you know, and and how much a company is willing to spend on a GP program. So every million or half a million or a couple hundred thousand euro they spend on on a leash is money they can't go get Mir or Rins or, or whoever. You know, the next, yes. right? But the guy deserves to stay. He's been working with those engineers. There's no one that knows the bike inside and out. Aprilia would be so foolish on so many levels, not just on a result level to get to, you know, but obviously Maverick Vinales is fast. He's a fast guy. He's won a lot of races in MotoGP. He can't figure that bike out for, for anything, right? So you got to figure right now, there's only two Aprilias, so it's not not that we can say that, you know, Aleish is the Quadraro of, or the Mark Marquez of Aprilia, but we won't know that until they get two other satellite bikes. But anyway, the short answer yeah. is he deserves it, and I think he deserves the bonuses that he's going to get. He is completely, and this is the biggest thing to me, he's completely turned around people's view of Aprilia as a company because of it. And more people are picking Aleish in fantasy. Not yet. I mean, it's probably going to take at least half season. But all of a sudden, you hear people saying this. The two most balanced motorcycles in the MotoGP paddock are the Suzuki and the Aprilia. Dude, no chance you say that 12 months ago. Not even close. Yeah. 
No, I agree with you. I just hope he gets it. I know he will. I, dude, I mean, look, the guy, the guy's capable, man. I mean, if 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 he just keeps putting the season together, I forget how many podiums he's had now, but what Four, a run he has got! Podiums, he is, I think, it's unreal. We, he's got a win, and he's and he's, you know, I mean, this last weekend was really impressive. I mean, he fought off Quattararo at his home Grand Prix. A couple other guys I want to talk about: uh, Jorge Martin. Shocker, like this year for me. I thought Martin would be a guy that would be, you know, up there. And now you're reading, or I'm reading, uh, that he's got some nerve damage, or he's got some. He's, he's losing feeling in his arm and his hand, yeah. uh, where he can't feel the throttle, can't feel the brake, and he fell again. I mean, this was a guy at the beginning of the year where you go, okay, you got Martin, you got Bastianini. One of those guys are going to end up on the factory seat. It was a no-brainer. It's going to be Martin, I think. <laughs> now. Now, I think he's just got to be hopeful of holding on to that ride. And I don't think Zarco's going anywhere. It seems like management loves Zarco at that team. So, you know, Zarco again, is basically their test their test mule at this point. I mean, and he's and he's, you know, he ends up fifth, still a little bit inconsistent on the accident front, but um but Martin is I mean, what happens to him? I don't know. That's a huge question. Your star, your star shines brightly in MotoGP, and if Ducati, I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple things Ducati could do. I have no idea how much influence Ducati has over, say, the VR46 team or not, or if they're just renting those bikes or whatever. But they seem to have more of an influence Ducati does on the Premax side of things. So, I mean, I keep Martin because I think the guy's got a lot of potential. Obviously, he came out of the box strong. The, the question becomes health issues. Is, is this nerve stuff going to continue on? And do you invest years while you figure out it doesn't happen? That, yeah, that's, does he have surgery? Does he do like, what do we like? Yeah, it's really, it's weird how the years go. So do you see this morning where Remy came out and said, if KTM doesn't want to keep me, I'll go to World Superbike? No, I didn't see on that. KTM. I mean, you got, I saw your, I saw your boy Herve that you love, Poncheral. Um, the the guy who runs Tech 3, Tech 3 uh, with Remy and Raul, and they've just had a horrendous season. And it doesn't seem to me that the, the this is, goes back to a little bit of what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, where you look at the Ducatis, they've been around a lot longer, obviously, than KTM has, but you look at the Ducatis, and there really isn't that big of a difference between the factory bikes and the satellite bikes. Satellite bikes are still capable of being up front and, you know, uh, and, and doing what they need to do. The satellite bikes with the KTM seem like they're quite a ways behind still. We've not seen Remy or Aurel do anything. Keep in mind, these guys were the top two finishers, I believe, last year, top two in Moto2. Um, battled all the way to the end of the end of the championship. And I feel like you look at what they did as, as a Moto2 world champion and you go to the KTM team. Raul almost seemed like he didn't want to be there anyways. Um there was all these talkings about Raul getting signed with Yamaha for next year because he didn't want to be at KTM. But now you got two more amazing guys that could potentially, you know, get a, a Yamaha seat if it comes up. Morbidelli's already a given there. They're going to roll the bank out to Quattararo. And Remy just came out this morning and said, you know, if they're not, basically, if they're not happy, um, he's like, I'm tired of, I think his quote was, and I got to go back and look at it, but it basically was like, Every weekend I'm crashing. Every weekend I'm getting hurt. And as soon as I try to push, I end up in the gravel and I'm having no fun. That's what he said. Which I thought's yeah, that's gotta suck. 
but that's but that's the elixir of MotoGP and being in MotoGP. It's it's like there's two things. One is I'm in Moto2, I'm in Moto3. All I want to do is get to GP. Yeah. And and that's where you go, okay, well Joe Roberts I think was it was a good decision for him at the time not to take the Aprilia ride. Obviously now looking back on it you're kind of like, "Ah, eh. But yeah. it's like, I, I got to get to MotoGP at all costs. And then it's like, I got to get on a factory bike at all costs. And it's like, I think at this point, it's so hard to predict the future because obviously, Jay, at the end of last year, we're looking at KTM when people weren't able to develop motors and, you know, and KTM had, was like winning races here or there. And what I think the first KTM race was won by Tech 3, like their first win ever, right? Happened to Tech 3. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay. This makes a lot of sense. KTM looks balanced. It's got some speed. It's got this. It's got that. But all of a sudden, it's like they stayed still and everybody else has progressed. Right. Um, and that's where you can't predict that that's going to happen unless you're inside of it, working it. And we don't know what's going on over there. We don't know what the focus is. I mean, KTM is not a large company uh, right. by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, HRC has got a number of employees and Ducati Corsa. You know, it's not like when you say Honda, it's not Honda that are making right. cars it's hrc right. yeah as much as it's suzuki's race program so uh, you know as a company ktm smaller but it yeah it's so weird how this has happened so fast how well Hervey didn't sound like, particularly stoked either like which was really interesting and you well know. no i mean obviously Hervey Hervey was on was the yamaha team right and then when he switched Correct. to ktm everybody was like <gasps> This bike's garbage, and but but he won with a KTM, and he had some podium right. finish, and everything looked great. And then this year, after what the second race or so, you know, whatever it's been, they had a win this year, right? Miguel won. Oliveira. Miguel Oliveira no. won in Indonesia. Win? Yeah, yeah. And so then after the third, after that, it's been like, but it's so crazy how sporadic it is. Like Oliveira has not even been a talking point this year, other than one race. I mean. Bender is always the guy that ends up gutting it out and figuring out a way to get there. Like even this weekend, like you said, clips the back of Zarco, I believe is who it was, and yes. and loses a wing and has to fight the bike for the remainder of the race and ends up still getting in the top ten. And you know when you watch Bender talk, he's always smiling and he's always like he's either sarcastic about like yeah it was a struggle or whatever, but. He's the guy that always seems to figure out a way to go from 16th to top 10 or be in the top 10 and finish in the top 10. The KTM right now just has a lot of consistency, which a lot of inconsistency, which is what seems to plague them. Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the Suzuki team that you were just mentioning. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about my favorite rider. You know who my favorite rider is? Yeah. Who's my favorite rider? Joan Mir. Yeah, Rins. He's my favorite guy. You're always <laughs> razzing me about Rins. So anyways, Rins, Rins is a guy that I love watching ride. I love both the Suzuki guys, by the way. I like watching them ride. I think they're both off track. Seem pretty classy dudes in the sense that... Yeah, but I have to give it to you. Rins' riding style is mm-hmm. about as simple as it gets. Yeah, no. I There's a lot of things I like about what both of these guys do. And I think on a weekend where there was probably more turmoil, the fact that these guys had to go into... Uh, that race coming off the back of what they were just told in Jerez a couple weeks prior. And you can really tell the feels that these guys have for their whole team. Um, There's a lot of people within Suzuki on that team that don't have jobs now basically moving forward. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But I thought this would be a really good weekend for those guys to totally step up and go like, okay, here's the deal. 
we we need to put a good race together. I am I'm going to quietly tell you that I'm really disappointed at what Renz did. Um because racing is racing and I get it. But Greg, we have seen this far too much from Renz over the last three three, four years. Um last year it was horrendous. Remember how many times he crashed last year? It was like something like four Grand Prix in a row that he crashed and I get that you're pushing. Listen, I understand. No, none of the riders want to fall. I get it. But these small mistakes and errors that Renz continues to make, I think that it's his likability that takes him away from the criticism that he should deservingly be getting right now. Um, the criticism would be the fact that you got to finish these races, man. Like you finally put yourself in a position prior to Jerez to con- you know contend for the championship. Arguably, we know that these guys can win races. Um, even Rins has got three, I think, total. Mir's only got one. I still think the Suzuki's a step and a half behind a couple other bikes out there, even though they've got an increase in performance. But Suzuki went to the the bank this year and, and put some. Uh, they 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 made their bike better. And Mir, we've seen make very few mistakes. Can't be critical of him. It's going to happen. It happened in a slow corner where. I've seen a million people crash. Same turn as Bagdaya. Mir tipped off there. That sucks. But for Renz to make the mistake, Greg, that he made going into turn one there, turn one at Lamar is extremely fast. And it's a place where you don't see that happen often. Now, Zarco did it in qualifying. Um, he got out on the paint. He tipped in too late. Not enough commitment to the to the entry to that corner. And you can't get out wide there. If you get out wide there, GW, it's your host. And I've seen it um, where I'll see it, where I've seen it mostly is in the wet there. Okay. I've seen guys run off there and things. But you cannot. This is, he finally put himself in a position, didn't he, Renz? He was third. And on, and and it makes this gigantic error on what, like lap five, I think it was? Was he? Yeah, five laps into the race. He makes an error in a place on the track where, it's just ridiculous that he did that at his level. Now, the reason I'm kind of going on a rant about it is the race right before it, the guy ends up 19th on a factory MotoGP bike. He ends up 19th. And if you remember, Greg, he ran off doing the exact same thing, losing the front in a fast right-hander at Jerez, runs out through the gravel, walks away with no points, two Grand Prix in a row, two Grand Prix in a row, walks away with nothing. I think that this really is hurting Renz's market value when it comes to, they might not be coming out and saying it, but there's no criticism of Renz hardly ever. And I don't mean to sound like I am, but just way too many stupid mistakes. The riders even complimented him on the podium, the podium finishers. Because I think Miller was leading when when Rins ran off, and they basically said, and you heard all that behind the scenes stuff. They were talking about it behind the scenes, about how he tried to get that thing slowed down, and that's really what caused the crash. If you if you look at what Zarco ended up doing, Zarco kind of rode it out. He got on the rode it out, on launched the, off it. Yep, launched yeah. off it, but moto, he motoed the thing. He got Correct. on the balls of his feet. Rins was still in the saddle, and I think he was trying everything to slow it down which my guess would be transmission and back brake. Like that's the only way you're going to slow it down in the gravel trap. And you could see the kind of rear was loaded and then he hit and the thing went sideways and all that stuff. Just kicked him in that's a weird area. It was really a, a weird, bummer yeah. that was. Yep. Yeah. Scary, scary, scary moment. Scary yep. moment. You heard Simon Crafer actually talking about how he'd crashed one time. This was in, in whatever it was when Zarco, Zarco 
saved it during that qualifying or that yeah. practice session and how part of the FIM homologation for tracks is no lip, you know, no, no, no transition Correct. lip and all that kind of stuff. So that's why when he started to ride it out, I thought to myself, all right, now it's going to get tricky for Rins. Like when he was in the gravel trap, I thought, okay, now it gets tricky because he's got to fall back in position and you've got to kind of know in your head how much time and he's going to get yeah, yeah, along. Yeah. Then he hits the curb with the rear end loaded and it went sideways and, and all that big crap. It was real happened. awkward how it kind of kicked him that way, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, like- it was. And, I, and I think that that's really the reason. I think he was in the saddle. He was trying to get it slowed down and, and things were nuts. The fact that he picked it up and rode it again, that's the thing that really shocked me. I mean, yeah. tip of the cap. But you're right. It all starts with making that corner. I think that it's such a that Greg. It's such Rins a is fast. That's the problem. Jay Rins is fast. He just started it, finishing stuff. It's a horrible error to make that early in the race as well. You're five laps in. It's turn one. It's the kind of corner where even if you're making up a little bit of time, it's so fast and easy to make a mistake. I say it's easy to make a mistake, Greg. It really isn't that easy. But if you don't commit soon and get the bike tipped in, you wait just a little bit too long. You're out there at the edge of the racetrack doing 200 mile an hour and 190 mile an hour. But the, the thing is, is that you can't make that mistake five laps into a race. It's one thing if you're three quarters through the race and you're charging, the front tire might have a little bit of heat in it and it's getting a little worn. Five laps in, his tires are still good. Five laps in, the guy's running third and he's finally put himself in a position after a great start, good qualifying. Both the Suzuki's, once Zarco got kicked back for getting in the way of um, Paul Spargo on qualifying, it jumped Mir up to the second row, Rins on the outside of the third. I thought that was a huge advantage for both those riders. And the thing is, is that is that he put himself in a good spot. And that to me is a mental error of mental errors. You just can't do it. Now, the guy, like I said, he's probably my favorite rider over there. Favorite, like I, I love watching his interviews. But the criticism has to start happening with these small mistakes. You got to stop making them. You can't. You can't keep doing it. So I was really disappointed to see that happen for the second week, you know, in a row where the guy's got a, a big goose egg and it's always the same thing. Oh, it's okay. We're positive. We're going to the next race. I get that. But if I'm his manager, I'm like, man, ugh, we could have used that result. You're killing me, bro. You're killing yeah, me. Yeah, you're right? killing me, bro. You're killing you are, me. You're, dude, he goes down. He's like, yeah, there, we just lost 200,000 euro there. Let's just say well, for argument's sake, Bagnaya doesn't finish as we saw, um, you know, and, and I think that he would have the pace to probably go by Miller. And it's like, he could have probably had a first or a second. He could have maybe gone with Bastianini. We'll never know. But we'll the thing is, is that is that the Suzuki we know routinely is pretty good at the end of the races too. And I just thought, you know, it's amazing that we don't read any criticisms of Alex Rins. And I, and I didn't mean for this little rant to be a thing where I'm like, like destroying the guy. I'm just saying You're that... Pooping. If he him. could just stop, like just stop the the, it, look when Dovi well, we thought he we was, thought he had he had a consistent first couple races and we thought five okay rounds. first five weak. rounds great yeah right? he's he's yep. he's a new Rins and blah 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 he's he's the new Alicia Spargo but you know it is what it is for him and hopefully his career won't end because of but these stupid mistakes. Do you he, remember he, we I used to say the same thing about Dovi. Dovi's on a factory Ducati. And oh, he's yeah. qualifying eighth, or he's going to qualifying one on a factory Ducati as the A rider. You can't do it. That's, it's, I mean, honestly, especially then, that it's deeper now than it was three years ago when, when Dovey was factory guy on the Ducati running for the championship. What did he finish second in the championship like three or four times? Yeah. And it's like, like we used to always say, Mark Marquez is never going to be in qualifying one back in three years ago, you know? 
It's yeah. just well, not well. Going let's get off to that happen. topic and let yeah. me ask you this question: Do you yeah. think that this whole Suzuki thing and that it really affected the riders once the race got started? There were a few journalists that linked the two crashes to their heads. Personally, Jason, I think it's horseshit. Once you get once you get the helmet on and once you get rolling, there was no thought of any of that stuff going on. They were just racing. But that's but that's just my opinion of it. What what are your opinion? Hey, I'm right. I'm right with you, man. Hundred percent. It's still the same bike, same team. It's not like they're putting any extra pressure on themselves. Listen, they know what they have underneath them, and they know that what they have is gone next year. It doesn't matter if they go out and win races or win the championship. It's it's gone. So those are going to be guys talking, I believe, saying that kind of stuff um, that just maybe haven't sat on a seat. Because the last thing, those guys got enough to think about when they're riding rather than, oh my gosh, I got to continue to get this ride under my belt. Otherwise, you know, that the only pressure that they might have right now is now they're in the shop window trying to get rides. I don't think Mir is going to have a problem with getting a ride. I don't know if I'd want to go to Honda if I'm Mir, to be honest with you, even though that's kind of been the link of where he's going to go. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. We'll watch that as we go through the next couple of weeks on our podcast, but I, I'm with you, G-Dub, on that. All right, let's get to Moto2, shall we? Because... Yeah, is there is there a worst is there a worse time to be a Moto2 rider than right now in the sense of possible seats for 2023 in MotoGP? It, it'd be, see, that's another thing. You know, it's like, what what's the difference between what everyone in Moto Two is trying to accomplish and now all of a sudden what Rins and Mir do, and nobody's saying this guy hit the deck because he's worried about his future. You know that that was because I, I think the same thing. But it is it's a weird time to be a Moto Two rider, and unfortunately, you've got to just let your races play out. You can't you can't be racing right now in Moto Two thinking about too far down the future like Moto GP because you're gonna get stuffed. You're gonna yeah. get. You're gonna crash yourself out. Something crazy is gonna happen if you don't stay focused. Because Moto Two right now is, it's not ultra competitive in terms of the races up front. You know, like in terms of like that. Stuff. Well, this one wasn't. This one wasn't. But yeah. Yeah, but it's. But it is. It was and it wasn't. Right. Like it's. Yeah. So I mean, go through the results and we can talk. You know, briefly about what happened with the with the winner and and the DNF. You know? Yeah, let's do it. Fernandez wins. Augusto Fernandez wins his first race. The Red Bull KTM looked. Uh, um, team looked really good this week, as we know, as we saw Acosta, 17 years old. Um, he finally showed some of that speed, Greg. It was really, really impressive this week what Acosta did. It was too bad that he slipped off. Fernandez wins, Kanet second, Chantra third, Bobier, man, got heartbroken for him, ends up fourth. Agura, Schroeder. How about Joe Roberts? Really nice job for him coming from like 25th or something. I think Cameron 20, came from 17th. Some ridiculous 27th or something. Joe, yep. yeah. Like Joe crazy. continues to impress. He ends up seventh. Viete, eighth, who is your championship leader. Navarro Manzi, um, who came back to ride for that team this weekend. Uh, Gonzalez de la Porta. Um, Alcoba, Ben Schneider, and Philip Salich ended up rounding out the top 15. A couple of big non-finishers for me. Um, Aldegard and I think was it Aldegar and Arbolino that got together? I think I they, they crashed was. in yeah. separate incidents. They crashed in separate incidents, but they both crashed in the same corner. Same corner, um, but yeah, moments They were ago. out. Um, Acosta, it's a shame to see him crash out of the lead. He had pace all weekend. Made a big mistake coming out of the last corner, and it allowed Fernandez to close up on him. But then he started to pull back away, didn't he, Greg? And then he tipped off, which was a shame. And Sam Lowe's was a no-starter after his big high side in Saturday qualifying. Really, the KTMs this weekend just looked too dominant. They they both had the pace. Whatever that 
that team did to make their riders comfortable there was really apparent. They were able to run pace that nobody else could really get close to. Um, and it was the first win of the year for him. The guy, Greg, and I'm not really going out on a limb, the guy that's going to win this championship, I feel, finished second. Kinnett, right now, you know, you take away what happened to him at Portugal, where he arguably would have finished first or second in that race in Portugal before that huge crash. Like, you look at Vietti right now. Vietti, you know, you can't be finishing whatever he finished here, ninth, eighth. Finished eighth, uh, Vietti did, ninth, 20 seconds back, even though he's won a couple of races already this year. He was 20 seconds back at this race. We've seen him even further back at Portugal. He was extremely lucky there, I thought, to get the points he did. Even he said that more or less the same. Kinnett is the guy that has been up front every single weekend, even with you know, a poor arm right now. <laughs> yeah, the big injury. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think Kinnett, I think he's obviously still hurt. You know, right? Yes. He's still he's still injured. So he's he's got that pace. He's made a huge step from last year into this year. And I, I think that what's interesting to me is the way the championship feels right now. It's like you you, you have Vietti who's sitting on top, but he hasn't he hasn't had any of these great results. Kinnett is the one who's getting consistent. And even though Kinnett is what, let's see, eight, 10, 19 points behind, something like uh-huh. that. Yeah. It, I agree with you. It just feels at this po- moment in time that it's Kinnett's championship to give away because he's on the roll, he's consistent. And as he gets healthier and healthier, especially with like having the one week off and then going back to racing, uh, it, it's going to be good. The, the Iogura thing, who's second in points, but he's only three points ahead of, of Kinnett, he seems to be, you know, kind of locked into that inconsistent bit. He's good. He's he's not great. He's he can he's got win a race win. Out. He got top five here. I thought finishing fifth here and collecting those points for your guy was good. You know. Yep, it's good, but it but it doesn't feel like I is going to dominate. And Vietti, right. the last couple of races, they've lost their way, and maybe they can pull it out. They so. really have lost their way, and, and Samkhiat Chantra is a little inconsistent, bit of a crasher. Um, I know, this is so funny because I mentioned him last week on the podcast, right? We were talking about, and I said, ah, he's got to, it, it, it seems like he's got to have a good week. Like he's got, yeah. and he did, he did. He had, yeah. he had a really good week, you know? Yeah, he did. Um, um you got to keep an eye on Fernandez back there in fifth. Joe Roberts is sixth in the championship right now. It would just be good to see if we, if we could just get Joe to get up in that top five more often. Right now he's being consistent and he's finding his, I feel like he's, I feel like he's doing really well on race days. Like he's kind of there. But he's, we got to get, I mean, look, he's sixth in the world championship right now. He's doing a fantastic job. And he's only, what is he, Greg, out of out of fourth right now. Let's see, Joe's got 66. Arbolino's got 70 in fourth place. Um, the guys in front have a little bit of a jump on those. So really inconsistent. Too bad to see for Sam Lowe's do what he did. Jake Dixon crashed again, mm. sitting on 32 points. And, and Cam is 14th right now with 29 after kind of a tumultuous, tumultuous like beginning of his season yeah bobier has got a batten down the hatch it seems like bobier is getting ready to make that step i don't know what his yeah. relationship was with lamar but um you know like meaning like he comes to america he does well they go to a track where they've tested multiple times he does well i don't i don't know how much track time he's had at, at in france and yeah. if this was one of those weekends where it was just like all right i don't have a ton of experience and you know, compared to some of the other riders, and we just put a good good package together. Because he started off strong, then he qualified, what, 17th, and then Sam pulled out of the race, so he was 16th. But Cam, 
had a good run at it, but then he made a comment, Jay, where it was six laps to go and he started to the bike started to feel bad. I I could tell Cam started to lose the front all over the place. That's what it looked like to me anyway. Yeah, I was I was just so bummed for him because you know, you sit there and you're like you're almost trying to will him along, like like you're trying to like will him along and same with Joe. I mean, like all these guys, even SDK, I hate seeing him struggle. I mean, because we know these guys, right? And yeah, you're not wishing any ill will on anybody else, but boy, a podium for Cam, it's just it's just sitting there in front of him. And you're right. Like he's definitely starting to, Greg, he was only four seconds back at the end of the day on this race. And I know Augusta Fernandez was kind of controlling that pace, but Cam could see the leader. You know, at the end of that race, Cam could still see the leader. And that's a man as a rider that gives you a big shot of adrenaline. Um, and, you know, going to some tracks, I think they go to Mugello next. And then I think after Mugello, they go to Barcelona. I'd have to, I'm not positive, but, you know, yeah, it's great to see Cam up there. That team looks like they're working hard. You're kind of hearing murmurs about that team wanting to jump up to MotoGP. Again, it's, it's uh, you know, just, I just want to see them start putting consistent results. If Cam can just get himself, God, if he can just run top five, six, seven each week, but, but, keep trimming that gap down to the to the leaders. I think that's going to be a big thing for him. In Moto3, G-Dub, oh let's look at, at Moto3. Uh, great race. Jami Masia goes on and wins the race by 0.15 of a second over Sasaki. Greg called a Pridmore heartbreak. Yeah, Greg, Greg says to me yesterday, he goes, oh, are you heartbroken? And, I'm, and I, it took me a minute to think about that. But yeah, I am a Sasaki fan. Um, I just want to see the kid win, especially like I, like I said, after his... Doha mess where he was leading and the fairings came apart or whatever happened there. Guevara ends up third. Faggio ends up fourth. Gets nicked um, two corners from the end. Like So both of these... Sasaki makes this incredible pass into a left and then opens the door in the last corner and allows Masia to stuff him. Yvonne Guevara... All the while these, I'm yelling at my computer monitor going, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I, all I said, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, my mom's sitting next to me, and I'm like, I, when he went underneath Masia in the left, uh, and I'm saying, close the door. Do not let him go underneath you. Make Just these guys it. go around the outside of you. Because literally, the run to the last corner is so short that mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to do anything with you. So I'm just like, close the door. Do not open it at all. And he opened the door, and Masia jumped underneath him. Gravara was, was doing door. this. Yeah, could, and Gravara was doing the same thing. Yeah, Gravara did the same thing right behind him uh, to Fagia, which, yeah. Suzuki ends up fifth. Uh, Tatai Garcia, seventh. That's that was too bad for him. Uh, he ran off and got back on, but Garcia ends up seventh. Uh, Yamanaka Anchu after I don't know if you saw his crash, but he had a big crash. Craig in qualifying. Mino Hogado McPhee on his return ends up twelve, three point one back. I mean the top thirteen guys were separated by three point three seconds. Uh, Rossi Marrera and Toba end up filling out the top fifteen. Um, man, Greg, what do you think about this race? Well, it's hard to analyze because four, four laps to go, you had 14 riders all within striking distance of each other. I'm not saying the 14th rider could have contended for the race win. But as we got to two laps to go, those five, Masia, Sasaki, Guevara, Fagia, they, they kind of broke away one second then to the next group. So that was... This is like this is a good example of why you need to be up front in a Moto Three race because it was one person who made a mistake with about two laps to go that kind of fractured that group up, and basically didn't give that sixth place through thirteenth place any chance to win this race. I agree with you on everything though. I thought Sasaki did a great job. He had a 
perfect pass. He left the door open. He gave the win up. Masia didn't panic, though. After he got passed, he saw the door open. He, he threw it in there. Uh, Ethan Guevara, I think, did a great job. He was pretty far back. Um, who else was it who got a ride-through penalty that had kind of gotten... Um, ride-through penalty or like a long lapper? Diago Moreira, who... There was a red flag in this one for a rain, by the way. And it That's was, right. Moreira or whatever, however you pronounce his name, uh, Diago, who led this thing. And then the red flag came out. And then he got another launch. And he just got beat up. And he went backwards. And then he ran off um, or whatever. It's funny... He, Thanks for bringing that up real quick. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but thanks for bringing that up. Because again, how many people do you need to see crash before you throw a red flag? Yeah, I... uh, It's insane. Like... It was like synchronized crashing. Like, like almost like we saw... Remember at Moto America Race, we saw Jersey with the oil in turn one or whatever, exiting turn one. Whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, we saw a sync or two, whatever it was. We saw synchronized crashing and you're like, okay. Like, let's throw this... The top three guys just fell. Like, let's do something. But regardless of that... You have four guys go down in succession coming into the last corner at this race. And before that, there was three other guys that had crashed in this race. And it's like you got seven or eight guys. How much destruction do you need to see before you throw the red flag out? I, I Look, race direction is a difficult job. I don't. I understand it. But, man, it's, it's just so unnecessary. Like if it starts to sprinkle and you've got all these guys running – right behind each other one after the other like what are you doing anyway look jason if you if you know it's sprinkling for a couple of laps and we did because even the yeah. commentators were calling it you could see yeah the duck. they were yeah. if you're race control do you not have your hand on the red button on the panic button on the stop button you're like you know what i mean you get what i'm saying like like yep. you're at high alert it's not like you're hanging back going sipping a cup of coffee talking about you know what hotel you're staying at near the airport or something you're there focused. You're like, okay, it's raining. Let's keep an eye on it. That's the way I would think it would be. And Correct. then boom. All right. Red flag immediately. Like that, that's the thing that kind of gets me about that whole situation. It's like, what were you watching? How come you're not what on are it you anticipating watching? something like that happen? Because it's freaking Le Mans, man. I mean, we know that Le Mans, it can be raining in one corner and not in another corner. Like, yep. I've never even been there. And I know that that's the case. You know? No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And, and it's, it's to me, I just sit there and I go, man, there's just so much unnecessary crashing. When those four guys went down in the last corner, red flag should have come out right then. And even before that, like I said, there was other accidents prior. And I just, man, I don't understand it. It's frustrating. Moto3, as always, exciting, good stuff. And, um, you know, these guys head off to, you know, they head off to Magello now. And I hate that you've been there and I haven't. (laughs) And, yeah. Um, I'll go there someday. Okay, so we're off to VAR for Moto America uh, yeah. for our, oh boy, round four of the championship. Kind of, It's a weird year because we had two races at Daytona that were Moto America races, but our official round one was Superbike only at Coda. It's kind of a weird, weird way to say it. But Jason Pridmore, we have an Italian rookie who leads this championship, and he's coming off of a DNF. So let's talk about medallia superbike class with moto america as the weekend approaches what do you think we have uh we have all your standard classes this weekend i don't think yep. we have uh no baggers right no baggers this weekend no baggers we got the girls i think on the royal infield that's gonna yes. be the uh addition i guess right yeah yeah so yeah so we'll have super super bike stock thousand super sport twins cup junior cup and royal, royal enfield build train race yeah. so on the superbike side of things 
What are you thinking right now? We have it's Gagne. Gonna be steamy. Who had a it's gonna be hot. It's gonna be hot. Oh yeah, dude. It's gonna be roasty. At least Saturday, Friday, Saturday is gonna be warm. Sunday they're calling for possible thunder showers, which we've seen there before, which could throw a wrench in some things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I'm just looking forward to getting on the plane and getting out of here. Like I said, the last I look at this like I've been counting down the days to just get out of Ventura because uh, you know get to motor I'm I'm dying to get to this next race because it's going to be interesting. I know that you went up and hung out with Danilo in uh, at VIR when it was pouring rain in like 45 degrees or something, and I know yeah, he, he did got ride. Any laps. Yeah. So at least he got to see the track, though. He'll have at least got to see it. And since those guys, I feel, are they're starting off with a better bike already than they had last year there, because what you've you know been telling us uh, as far as the setup on this bike, it's completely different than what they've had in the past, right? So uh, yes. last year. So I feel like they're already going to go there with probably a better setup. He's going to go out and run a bunch of laps to start. Um, I think that that you're going, this is where the championship now is going to, um, hopefully we can see it tighten up a little bit after this, only because from a fan perspective and an announcing perspective, I just want to have a good series, right? Um, But Danilo could go here and just, and do really well. Obviously he's going to do really well. I think the couple guys that I think I need to see bounce backs from, um, I'd like to see Cam Peterson put a good weekend together here. Um, maybe a little bit less pressure on himself. Skoltz needs to get a result in the sense that keep the thing upright. And, and you know, I'm still going back to what I remember at, at, at Atlanta and tipping off in that second race, which was just a bummer. Um, I think that you're going to have those four or five guys. Can the Suzuki's get any closer? What about the team? What about the BMW team? I mean, you know who I think is going to be coming in here with some confidence? Believe it or not. Uh, who? PJ Jacobson. You know, it probably was just a gut wrench, gut punch to him to see Kyle put that bike on the podium. And, and you know, Kyle does such a good job in Atlanta getting that bike on the podium and on PJ's bike. And I think... I mean, you could see something special out of him this weekend and Hector Barbara. Maybe they get a little closer on those bikes too. So all in all, this is usually a really good weekend for us fan-wise, spectator-wise. I think I expect, I expect, have you talked to Chuck at all uh, as, as far as spectators go for this one? Ticket sales were up. Yeah, yes. amazing. Again, and they, at, and yeah. Atlanta was packed. Thanks to all the fans for, you know, obviously coming out to these. But I think we're going to see another tremendous um, amount of fans at this race. Um, hey, and by the way, if you're an old person, Josh Hayes is racing in Super Sports. Dude, it's so weird that you say that. I wasn't going to go <laughs> old though. Josh well, has been keeping me informed on what he's doing. He's he's drinking a he's drinking a lot and eating a lot of pizzas right now. He told me so. That's good. Drinking so like beer be and pizza. Go. Oh yeah, he's just going like full blown. Yeah, boy. The yeah, pizza part just, I'm with. I'm 100 percent with yeah, that. He's probably trying to see how big he can get and see. You know, he's taking the Anthony Gobert stance. I'm just kidding. Um, He's going to be ready to roll, which I'm pumped on for the for the super sport class. Can Ben Smith get closer without making mistakes? What's the GSXR 750 going to be like here oh, at VIR? I think there's going to be four of them that are going to line up. I think on the grid. Is there four? So you got what do you got? GW, you got Lockoff, and you got Liam Grant, and you got um, Tyler Scott. Ty Scott, and, and I heard that there's one more possibly that's going to be coming from Altus, possibly Jared Nassani. Oh, okay. Yep, that makes sense. Yep, yep, okay. yep. So, so, but I'm going to tell you something, dude. They tested the teams. A lot of teams tested at Barber, 
Okay. And from what I heard, Petrucci was absolutely shredding Barber to pieces. I mean, not lap record pace type thing, but in terms of like the day, who was at the track and stuff, he was he was going really well. But the person I heard that impressed most is Tyler Scott because it no, was his dude, first go deal, on the GSXR 750. Yeah, you know, I got a text message from Robbie Peterson who's crew chiefing on that bike, and you know, he heard my comments about Ty, and he was like, "Jay, you're kind of spot on with the kid. Like he's got a look in his eye, and he's, you know, it, it's it's." I'm glad I didn't take any criticism about the comparison that I drew to Nikki with him, but it's you just see this kind of young kid who doesn't he doesn't really appear to give a shit about anything around him. He just he's doing his thing. He's doing his program. He's going to get there the way he wants to get there. And again, you know, it's like man, you get hooked up with a guy like Robbie Peterson <laughs> at the beginning of your career. That is Bingo. amazing. And and Nikki had some of that at the beginning of his career. Like when we had the hypercycle team together, we had some really great people under that 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 canopy that knew how to build bikes and put bikes together and get bikes set up, and it was a really really good um, thing for Nick. And then, I mean, I think Nick didn't he get like wasn't his next guy like Merlin? I, it might have been a couple years after that, but he went to Arion. I can't remember who he had at Arion. I can't remember who he uh, had. Maybe Rick Hobbs. Was I was, Hobbs? Dude, I was gonna say it might have been Rick Hobbs, and then he went from there to Merlin Plumley, right? At Honda. Yeah, I believe so. So, so again, it goes back to having the right kind of guys and right kind of people around you. And for his first year in Supersport, I don't know if I could pick a better guy than Robbie Peterson to have around you. Just this, his whole ambiance of he's not going to be the kind of crew chief with a big ego. He's going to understand what the rider is telling him. He's going to be um, the decision making is going to be smart. And and you know, again, I just think you're 100 percent right. I think he's going to be really good. You did. Yeah, we're going to have a really fun weekend, I think, at VIR. And I, I think VIR is one of those tracks that can be one of two things. It can either be a checkout or it can be close racing. Yeah. And I think more times than not, it feels like it's closer racing at I times. Agree. Because it's not – the straightaway kind of bunches people up a little bit, but it's not so technical. But it th- this is uh, – Josh Hayes was always really good. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Josh actually goes on that Squid Hunter Yamaha here. You know, Jay, I really think that since the since the exit of Chuck Graves, though, some years ago, we haven't really seen a Yamaha R6 that has been like a dominant motorcycle, right? The last couple of years, it was a Kawasaki or a Suzuki. So we'll see, you know, it's one thing at Daytona. It's another thing to see Hayes roll around on a track that he absolutely knows, loves. And when he raced this place, it was do- he would dominate the place, you know? So that's yeah. good stuff. Also, Jay, you know, if you're home and you can't make it out to Virginia to hang out with us... World Superbike is racing. They're going to Estoril. What do you think they about are that? Going to I think it's going to be great, and Top Rack's going to be hungry to get a spot there. Last time we saw Top Rack and Johnny, they were on the ground in the gravel trap. So, um, you know, it. I mean, look, World Superbike doesn't isn't going to disappoint. Uh, don't forget Alvaro Batista is leading that championship right now. And I mean, man, the only thing that sucks about Estoril is it's the same weekend as a Moto America race because you know how I am on these weekends G-Dub I try to keep a little bit hidden and try not to get any results and I try to watch things and um, going back to Moto America just real quick though okay before we go on to the World Series right Mm -hmm. how hard are you pulling for Kayla Yakov yeah what do you mean how hard am I pulling for in Twins Cup is she racing something I don't know about no, and like, dude, it got taken away from her at, oh, G- at the Junior Cup in Atlanta. Oh, Junior Cup, like, yeah, yeah. Ju- I mean, it's, Junior it's Cup. It's kind of yeah. the Sasaki thing for me again, you know. Like, 
you know, we, we commentate these races and we don't have bias. And, and I think junior cup is great because it's going to be, it's pretty wide open. Um, where, where, like where she shined more than any place obviously was on the brakes, right? Yeah. She was better than everyone on the brakes. She was, she was, yeah, that's what I'm saying. She was as good as anybody else anywhere else, but she was really, she was better on the brakes. I'm trying to think where would she, where would she be able to take that confidence? Going into turn two off that big straightaway. If she can get by guys, it's not an easy place to pass this track. So, um, is it similar? Yeah, it's downhill a little bit. It is a little tricky, you know, because it's downhill. You can, you can live there though. She knows these tracks. She knows these tracks now. No, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I want to see, I want to see how she responds to, to, to basically more so than anything. I just want to see how she mentally responds to Atlanta. I think it's been good that it's been several weeks in between. I mean, I'm sure she's been on a bike 50 times since, since that race and has probably, more or less forgotten mostly about it. You know what I mean? In terms of like the initial um, effects. So. I think that's one of those, that you, to, in my opinion, as a racer, mm-hmm. I don't think it's one that you forget about, but you use it. You that's use what it I'm saying. Like it's not going to, yeah. it's not going to, yeah. the one thing I can tell you is I talked to a lot of junior cup riders over the years and a lot of them are, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. When you're that age, you tend to regurgitate what your crew chief or what your parents tell you. And honestly, there are some riders out there that just don't know much. And it's a difficult class to get information from because, you know, on a superbike, I can tell you all the adjustability points on a superbike and how complicated yep. it is and how you can get lost in the weeds. And on a yep. junior cup bike, you're just not doing much, right? I mean, you got some gearing issues. You can stiffen up some springs, but for the most part. But I'm going to tell you something about Kayla. Of the junior cup riders that I've spoken with in the last couple of years, she is at the top of my list in terms of uh, race intelligence. She understands the bike. She understands what the crew, the crew's trying to tell her. She understands what the objectives are and she knows how to race. She, mm-hmm. she thinks, she thinks from the saddle. That's something has nothing to do with her gender at all. Zero. No, it, I don't what separates, that. What separates like, Kayla to me right now is, is her age and how intelligent she already is about racing. And that's the great thing I, that racing. IQ. I think, Savvy. Racing IQ, but on and off the motorcycle, you know, because I've seen some people that just can can ride. And there's one guy that I'm thinking of that I know you're thinking of right now who can ride, who has unbelievable talent. But off the motorcycle, they're like, duh, what gear are you in? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a few of those. Um, yeah, but there's it, one it guy doesn't in matter. Year. I'm going and, and you, you put it back. I don't care about the gender side of it. That doesn't matter to me. It, it could have been anybody getting their first win at, at down there who no, was deserving of it. That heartbreak. Oh yeah, yeah, I want to see someone win after. And I want to see Max Van. I want to see Max Van do well too. I want to see him. Um, he was up at the front of that race, and I want to see that kid get a win the way he wants to get a win. Also, I thought his post race stuff was classy. We got Cody Wyman, the vet of the class. That uh, it's there for him as well. I mean, we got a lot of stories. He's, he's racing twins cup. too. Cody's racing twins. He's doing double dude, duty this weekend. Dude, Raspoli is on Twins Cup this week. What? Oh, our Spicoli, boy, our boy, Jimmy the Risp. He's he's going to be on uh, Twins Cup. Don't forget. Wait Stock a second. Thousand. Ho- wait, Hog Spoli's going to ride something else. Dude, he's riding That's... everything. He was just over in Europe, um, commentating on that scooter challenge or whatever. I I I'm just being what with right his now, boyfriend I, Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were over what? there doing, or he was doing some commentating on it, and then I think he went to the Netherlands, and then he got his car Cycle broken into. Tech too. Speed Weaponry. Oh, that's right. My digital. I think he's riding with Hayden R7. Schultz team, I believe. Uh, but there's a like, yes, that's great. Yes, that's it's great. Team, I love yeah. it. And then you got on top of all that, you got Stock Thousand, which arguably is the best class I think we have going. And you know, for me, it's like. <laughs> 
Um, it's going to be interesting again because we've got so many different brands of bikes in that class right now that can be competitive. Yeah. Listen, it's going to be warm, people. There's no doubt. 94, yep. 94, 90. But the weather actually looks pretty good. So I just checked it, and they're calling for a 10% chance on Friday, 4% chance on Saturday, and it's down to a 24% chance of rain on Sunday. So come on out, make a thing of it, come visit Moto America and watch your World Superbike because at this point, Bautista's kind of checking out. Johnny Ray is chasing hot after his heels. He's the talk of the town with the changes they've made. Top rack, surprisingly, only 64 points with Bautista at 109. But all the chatter about top rack is Yamaha, MotoGP, testing the bike. What does he want to be on a MotoGP Yamaha, like it, there's a lot of stuff that surround Top Rack that are off the racetrack that are going on as well. I mean, but Estoril should be a good good fight. Estoril's going to be great, and you're so right, G Dub. Like, I Top Rack has a better chance of getting into MotoGP right now than any Moto Two rider. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that I think I was thinking about this this morning because we talked about Kinet. If Kinet gets a MotoGP ride, I think it'll be with a Ducati team, only because. They made a com- I saw a comment on online about this, and I'd have to look <laughs> into it a little bit more. But you know about all of his, he's got tattoos all the way up to his neck. I think it was Moto Matters or something said like no, yeah, the fact it's, that he's got neck tattoos and all but that. It's stuff. true. Like like when you go to Suzu- when you go to Suzuka, they have a, a, a great place, a great pool. You go inside, they take care of you. But if you are sleeved or any of that, they make you cover it all up. Hmm. They make you wear something over all of your tattoos. So mm-hmm. it's that would be a really interesting thing to see. But but top rack, yeah. Getting back to that, who else is going to step up? That's the biggest question. Is is Rinaldi going to step up for Ducati? Is Locatelli going to step up for Yam? Is Alex going to step up for Kawasaki? Alex Lowe's. So there's there's this long list of things. There's so many storylines, and also GW. You know when you talk about Supersport, I'm already hearing a lot of murmurs over here about the GSXR 750 and people crying about it. And I'm saying like, look, let this thing play out a little. Could we? Can we just let Give this thing go two weekends. or three races in? Yeah. yeah. Like, like <laughs> let's let's wait till after Road America or after the Ridge, or let's see where we're at with some things here before we start to make comments. Because, by the way, the R6 has won every race over in World Supersport. So everybody's like, oh, the R6 isn't competitive. Well, okay. And, and Greg, I don't want to be too naive, but I, I don't know if the rules are exactly the same. Are they exactly the same? World yeah, Supersport for- to ours? They're exactly yes. the same, right? They're mirrored. They're mirrored. They're mirrored, except we run a slightly different spec fuel, say. But, I mean, for the most part, they are. However, with that said, yeah, we, in talking to Moto America Tech, we in the United States have the ability to tune those bikes. Meaning, if for some reason, in the middle of the weekend or before a weekend, if, if the director of tech inspection, whatever, Teague, decides that he wants to take some throttle out or do whatever, he has absolute... Uh, carte blanche to do that now he does yep. communicate with scott smart over and you know um world superbike and all that kind of stuff to talk about it but yes in terms of the the technical specifications it's the same the thing to consider is we run different tires we were in different fuel so that's that's kind of the the biggest thing i think yeah it'll be uh it's gonna be interesting though so again it's uh there's a lot of good stuff going on obviously this weekend you skipped right over the fantasy stuff 
from <laughs> and I'm very happy that you did by the way thanks for that no like, no you're absolutely you know. right no no you're right you're right I mean we should really because the reason why people are playing along with us in MotoGP fantasy is to really find out how things go they want to hear their name me personally I had a decent weekend I think I jumped 50 spots something like that um, I'm now 56th <laughs> I got 115 and a half points even with with my boy uh Juan Mir's exit from the from the freaking race Jackass. Greg, I'm 200. Greg, I'm 250th <laughs> out of 330 something people. I'm oh, so my bad. God. You know what's that. hard though is you look at Wham. the prices of these teams, right? I I am maxed out. My team is maxed out right now at 15,100, and there's teams out there that have 19,600. This is where at the beginning of the year it's so important to get the good riders on your team because as their values go up, you can't get them. Well, I really I made two trades this week in in fantasy, and it was really a struggle for me to do so. Um, and luckily, I had faith in Bastianini because he was kind of nowhere at the beginning of the weekend. He was throwing it down the road, and I was like, eh. So I ended up trading, like, Paul Espargaro for Jack Miller, and that was a big one. And then I ended up trading and getting a Leish, I think. So I had a Leish and Bastianini as my gold riders. I had Mir and Jack Miller as my silver. So Miller yeah. got me a decent decent points all there, and then Ducati as a team. So I did okay. I mean... 115 there's a lot of people this week that were in that were just in double digits you know what i mean 75 well, 90 those types of points there weren't a ton of people that were you know we had team rhino who had 126 points in the last gp that's and and that whoever team rhino is is in eighth place in the pool but fight club continues to lead the way even coming off of a shabby performance of 73 yeah the, the Three That's- WSMC champs is close to within eight points. We are a five sixteen is at uh, in in third place ahead of Risky Biz Racing. So there's there's quite a bit going on. Uh, there's a lot of racing <clears throat> left to go. But Jay, I think that what you're saying is a credit to the MotoGP fantasy team. Whoever runs that deal, they have balanced this thing in a way that it is frustrating as balls because you're like, if I just had two hundred thousand extra dollars. Or something oh, yeah. like you know what I mean. If I just had a mine's like down to a hundred, I'm gonna have to do I, big I, I, wholesale I could, bullshit changes again this week and <laughs> swallow it up. You know, and I'm gonna have to take changes per. I know I'm gonna have to. I'm I am dropping Rins. I'm getting rid of him. Uh, and I'm gonna have no to way. put no oh, yeah. way. Oh yeah, it's gotta oh, happen. I, I gotta don't get. Even. I'm get. I'm getting rid of Rins. I'm putting Martin on if he's healthy, which I hate. But Martin's got to come good sooner or later at a Ducati track. That's going to give me enough money to get back into the Ducati fold as far as a manufacturer goes. What's the over? What's the over and under on on how many Ducatis finish before any other bike? Well, I I to be fair, I see Ducatis sweeping the podium for sure because I, I that's just what I feel. I feel like you're going to have I, I think, Bagnier, Bastianini, Martin. I think it's got to be Ducati one, two, three, four, five. I don't think it'll be top five. I think Alash is going to do good. I think Alash. I still think I that hope Aprilia so. Is the I am looking forward to seeing how slow. fast. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing how fast Aprilia really is. Because I think he could lead. The, he could be leading the championship after this, and then whoa, really put in the heat. Whoa, whoa. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Down. No, no. Too early I think in the season. we're two weeks away, him. and we're already talking It'd about MotoGP. No, so. Alash doesn't need to lead this championship until at least three quarters of the way through the season. No, he's going to be leading it after this next round. Alesh, if he finishes, if Alesh finishes this next race, he'll be leading the championship. My opinion. I think that, I think that this is going to be a very, very difficult track for the for the whole Yamaha team. Oh, yeah. um, brutal. It's going to be brutal. If that if Quattro doesn't get a good start, 
Or if he's any further back, let's say fifth coming out of the last corner on the first lap, he'll be eighth by the end of the first lap. It's going to be a very big struggle. I hope I hope not. I love Quattro. That guy riding his nuts off. But yeah, Justin, my boy Justin at Fight Club lost 30 points to three WSMC champs. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's all, it's all up in the air, G-Dub. So we'll see what happens. Um, let's look at... What else we got, G Dub? What am so I next? Missing? Next week we're going to talk about Moto. You know, we'll talk about Moto America VIR. Obviously, we'll talk about World Superbike, and then we'll preview a little bit more of Mugello. But also, Jay, on the twenty eighth of May, um, Promoto starts. So we'll see if we include a little Promoto, and we'll definitely keep an eye on it because on that front, you heard that um, that your boy Mook is not racing outdoor. I guess he's taking outdoor off. Mookie, Mookie isn't. That's yeah. That, that was the that was the word I saw on the interwebs. I didn't see. I didn't see that. I did not see yeah. that. That's too bad. Yeah, I don't know if I get to play. If I get, I don't game with him anymore because the guy that I game with that links me up with him has got a job now and he's not playing Call of Duty anymore. So I haven't, okay. I haven't played with uh, with Malcolm Stewart now in probably a month or so. But yeah, you never you never know when that's going to happen. Because um, I'd love to be able to ask him about it if I ever got him online. But yeah, so it's we'll we'll see. J Mart moved over here and there's been some been some changes, but. It, it just it seems like there's there's riders that are only interested in supercross or only interested in outdoor, but yep. I definitely we're going to talk about it because I really want to see how Dungey does coming back. I too, and Caroli, a Caroli's coming too. Yeah, cool. that's their that's their team. I heard that's yeah. I mean, oh, that's the team. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so be that'll be that'll be pretty I interesting. I mean, yeah. So we'll keep an eye on Promoto because we, we, you know, we love that dirt stuff, and there's some really talented racers there as well. So yeah, no doubt. That's what we got going well, on next week, guy. Man, well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. G Dub, good luck with the old water heater today, and uh, uh, yeah, 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 Thanks. and um, if I if I, if I pull it, if, God, if I pull I'm, a hammy, it's because I was moving a 200 pound water heater. Poor bastard. I'm 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 uh. Got my MRI on my ankle yesterday. I'm just dying to hear back on that. I still got this stupid thing on my. You know what I broke? I broke the hammock bone in your in your hand. That's what I broke. I've so never I, heard of that bone. It's a bone. So apparently, it's really popular injury for baseball players and golfers. Mm. Um, and it's yeah. If anybody that follows golf, Bryson DeChambeau just had surgery, and that's what he had to have fixed. And man, I hope I don't have to have that. So um, I'm gonna wear this brace and. You can make fun of me and all that shit. So I'm. By the way, Doctor Denny, your, this is your home race. It's my home race, Doctor Denny, who is my eye, my eye specialist because yeah. I have to get a needle in my eye every week. Yeah. He bitched out on coming to the races and going two up. Oh really? He was, he, yeah, I asked him. I said I, like, I invited him to come out uh, five weeks ago when I had my eye appointment, and I went yesterday. And I said, "You coming?" And you know what his excuse was? You're there. Why he can't come? You're there. No, no. His excuse was. My son's graduating from high school. I'm like, dude, that is such a bullshit excuse. I mean, come on, dude. Where I was like, priorities? is he going to college? He's like, yeah, Jesus. my kid's going to Brown. You know how good Brown is? I said, Doc, your kid's going to graduate from Brown in four or five, maybe six years. You don't know. I said, you'll get to go to another graduation. I would say, put a little races. emphasis on the college thing. The high school thing is, eh, you know what Yeah, I mean. what's the big whoop? You know what I mean? What's the, what's big, what's the whoop? big whoop? Hey, yeah, you know who we're going to have on this podcast, though? You know who we are absolutely going to have on this podcast? Dude, if if there was a drinking game for every time you said we were gonna have something on the have, podcast and it didn't happen, our whole audience would be trashed. Hey, listen, for all of if there are any NHRA fans out there, I've oh, gotten God. so into it. Like, stop. But we're gonna have Brian Loans on here. You'd love he's 
it's such a that's good fine i watched some last night it was on it was on the television last night saw pro stock oh, motorcycles uh and then uh i don't want to ruin it for anybody but i saw no, but, it was from virginia was that their last one yeah 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 Brit- i wonder Force how far one. away that was from you um that, that one that's not too far away that was like only two and a half or three hours yeah. and that was off last weekend i didn't even know yeah, you know, I would have I told you. I, I shot an archery tournament now. locally, but yeah, I mean, go. I could have gone. I should have gone on Sunday to check it out. Would have been cool. Yeah. I'm going. To, I, you know what I want to do? I just want to sit in one of those funny cars uh-huh. when they warm them up. Yeah, fourteen thousand horsepower, G Dub. They're doing three hundred thirty-five mile an hour. Listen, I'm no genius, but that sounds like a lot of horsepower. That's a lot of horsepower. And dude, we'll talk not this week, but we'll talk about Larry McBride someday because he was on. He was. He went two hundred sixty-seven on a top fuel Woo. motorcycle. No Woo. thanks. Spider-Man. Anyways, everybody, hey, for all the fans coming to VIR, make sure you come say hi if you see G-Dub or myself. And um, We'll be man, wearing shorts. We are going to be wearing shorts. That's the greatest thing about Chuck and all our crew. They, it's okay it's that we wear shorts. You only see us, from the, only see us yeah. from the waist up anyways, which is arguably our worst features. Um, everybody have a great rest of your week. We'll see you at the races.